This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Hello, I'm Jonathan Dimbleby. Thanks for taking the time to download this edition of Any Questions from BBC Radio 4. Welcome to Norfolk, where we are a little to the south of Norwich in the market town of Wyndham. I say market town. There's been a market here every Friday since the town got a royal charter almost 880 years ago. Wyndham is graced with a stunningly fascinating, beautiful abbey. And happily, like so many churches, you are invited warmly to go in on the notice board and then find that it's locked, presumably to deter theft and vandalism. It's also graced by Wyndham Higher Academy, very much open this evening, a co-educational secondary school with an outstanding rating from Ofsted and exceptional facilities, notably in the arts and sciences. On our panel, we're graced by David Davis, once served in the SAS, later acquired a reputation, fairly or unfairly, as a political bruiser, later Brexit secretary, a post from which he resigned a year ago in protest at Theresa May's withdrawal agreement, and who yesterday declared himself to be a Boris Johnson fan and is campaigning for him to become the next Prime Minister. Dawn Butler's parents were immigrants from Jamaica. In her youth, she worked on a market stall and in a bakery. Later, she became a civil servant, and in 2009, having become an MP in 2005, she became the first Afro-Caribbean woman to serve as a minister in a British government. She is now Shadow Secretary for Women and Equalities. Professor Catherine Barnard is a fellow of Trinity College, Cambridge, and a specialist in EU law. She sits on numerous non-partisan national and international bodies and is prominent as a contributor to radio, television, and the newspapers. Simon Jenkins is the former editor of The Times, now renowned as a trenchant columnist in The Guardian and Evening Standard, which he also used to edit. The author of more than 20 books, his latest is out, I think, next week, A Short History of Europe, it's called, From Pericles to Putin. That, if I'm right, Simon, is a, is a span of something uh, almost 2,500 years. How short, in your view, is short? <laughs> as long as the publisher wants it to be. <laughs> Our panel. And our first question, please. Niall Cook. Was Mark Field protecting a Minister of State or mishandling an innocent protester? Um, Was he protecting or mishandling? This is the mansion house uh, where there were protesters with horns and there was a lot of noise. Chancellor was making a speech. Um, He stopped a woman protester and frog-marched her out of the hall. Um, Dawn Butler... I think when you watch the footage, you cannot stop yourself by being shocked by the footage. It seemed to me that he used excessive force um, uh, when he marched her out, but when he also pushed her against the pillar. But I think what we need to do is have an investigation. And so I'm pleased that he's been suspended, and there needs to be a full investigation, and he needs to maybe consider his position and we need to see what comes out of the investigation. I think there's been lots of reports that have come out since then, lots of other video footage. I mean, it's a peaceful protest. I mean, MPs are on high alert because of all the attacks uh, that have been happening. But at the end of the day, um, it doesn't give 
us the right to use excessive force. And some people say to me, oh, you're into equalities. Why are you into equalities? So would you be arguing if it, he held a man by the neck and pushed them against the pillar? Well, yes, if it was excessive force, then yes, I would be saying it needs to be investigated. And I think the fact that it was... Um, a woman, and the fact that lots of people, particularly men, have sent me lots of emails written in capital letters and bold with lots of spelling mistakes uh, <laughs> makes me think that I've touched a raw nerve. Um, and I think we have to be really mindful that we do not normalize violence against women because we have a huge, huge problem with that in our country, which we don't talk about. So we, we need to be very mindful of that. David Davis. Well, the question was, was he protecting a minister of state, a, a chancellor. chancellor, I guess, uh, or mishandling a protester? And I think the answer is probably both. I mean, the, uh, I watched the, the video, and it wasn't very edifying, I agree. And I think the, the uh, decision to suspend him uh, subject to inquiry was exactly the right decision. He actually referred himself and he apologised. But, you know, this is, this is an interesting problem in this day and age. I, I don't know how many of you remember when... Um, the comedian, P45 comedian, um, uh, rushed up to the Prime Minister. I was sitting in the front row um, uh, then, and he came up in front of us, and then it was obvious he was going to go to the Prime Minister. And I, and I thought to myself, do I tackle this guy? He shouldn't be here. He's inside the police cordon. And I thought, no. Uh, and I sat there thinking, OK, if he touches the Prime Minister, I move. But you know, that balance of judgment in a, in a quarter of a second or half a second is really hard to do. So, I mean, I, I agree with Dawn. We're in the right place. He's suspended. He's going to be uh, reviewed. We, of course, don't know what we don't know. We don't know whether he'd been briefed on a, on a threat. He's the minister... Sorry, he's the... He's the uh, MP for the city, so it would be in his own area. We don't know what he expected. We don't know what happened in a few seconds before. G given, what but, you, given, given what you saw, do, do you think he could have, as it were, blocked her way? He's quite a substantial figure, rather than saying, I'm going to get you out of here. Because I think some might have suspected that because he was very cross yeah. that the Chancellor was being interrupted, rather than that the Chancellor was under immediate threat. Well, I, I can't read his mind. I mean, look, I mean, if you're trained to do these things, you know, and you, and you know what's coming and so on, then you, then you behave differently. If you're... Uh, I think one of my colleagues in the house said, uh, uh, well, he didn't know what he was doing, he panicked or whatever, and that's probably right. There's some sort of sudden rush. Uh, yeah, the, the optimum thing to have done was to stand up and block the way. You know, just stand in the way. Uh, but, 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 you know, it's all very well. I was reviewing it here, you know, when he did whatever he did in a second or two. So uh, right decision has to be reviewed. His job's on the line, uh, um, and it'll depend on, on what, the, what the other data says. Catherine Barnard. It certainly didn't look good. The video looked pretty, pretty terrible. But on the other hand, I think it's worth, worth bearing in mind the context. We know that three years ago, uh, about this week, uh, Joe Cox was murdered. We know that MPs um, are under threat. And so you could take a very benign view of what he did. I think it's worth looking at what the victim herself said. And she said that she isn't going to complain to the police. She saw it as argy-bargy. And she recognised that he may have felt threatened or thought that the Chancellor was feeling threatened too. So I think we've got to look at the context. I certainly don't think it should threaten his career. Simon Jenkins. Um, 
I really haven't got a lot to add, because I agree with all, I think everyone's more or less in agreement. I mean, I do think you have, there are two aspects of this. One is the, the people who do these things are taking a risk. Uh, they're taking a risk that someone will do this to them. Uh, I mean, I, I saw the people who are blocking Oxford, Oxford Circus, it's the same group. Uh, they were stopping people going about their lawful business. They were stopping people to get to work. People, people lost money. Um, they were seriously disrupting the city, and the police did nothing, absolutely nothing. The police got a lot of criticism for that. So when you, when you stop someone speaking, you try and seize a microphone, you're doing something which is non-violent, but it has a violent implication because someone might st- try and stop you doing it. So they take a risk, and the risk they take is, is what happened then. He clearly lost it. Um, I think he's going to defend what he did. Um, he, he overreacted. Uh, he should have just stood up and stopped. But no one else stood up. Uh, she got through the cordon. One wants to know what was happening to the security at the time. Because yeah, the most extraordinary thing is on the face of it, they came in, they were, they were dressed yeah. in the colourful ways, and the mansion house you would think would be secure, particularly when it's got ministers and lots of grandees in the place. Oh, she could have had acid in her bag. You just don't know what was going to happen. Um, but I do think he was, he was probably right to stand up. Um, clearly, he, 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 he just lost it. He panicked. Um, and it, it, I think she, he's apologised. She said, I'm not going to take any further action. I really think that should be the end of it. OK. Thoughts about that? Any answers after the Saturday broadcast of this programme? Julia Warwicker in the chair. 03700 is the number. The line's open at 12.30. The email address is na.answers at bbc.co.uk. Hashtag BBCAQ for the tweets. And you can follow us at BBC Politics. Our next, please. Nick King. <coughs> Should Britain and its European allies stand shoulder to shoulder with America in its current face-off with Iran? Uh, the President tells us that uh, ten minutes before the U.S. Uh, Air Force was going to launch airstrikes against the, in retaliation for the alleged downing of a drone in international waters, he discovered that 150 people were likely to die or may die and therefore um, stopped them. Very tense situation. Simon Jenkins. Well, uh, I, I'm glad he stopped them, <laughs> firstly. Um, uh, I'm glad he asked the question, how many people would die? Um, the rumour is that the key thing was a call from a friend of his on Fox News um, who was rather anti-interventionist and said, don't do this. Um, it takes that to stop a president killing people. Um, good heavens. Uh, all that said, I am, I am so anti-interventionist. We should not be anywhere near this place. This is not our dispute, not our row. Um, we buy their oil. Uh, they aren't going to stop us buying their oil. Um, the, the, the original agreement was worth trying and wasn't ruined, except by America. Um, I just feel very strongly that we've made such a mess of that part of the world, uh, more disastrous than any intervention in the 20th century. Um, why on earth are we picking a fight with Iran at the moment? It is not our business. We shouldn't be there. What about the argument... What about the argument, Simon, that uh, America is our most important ally? It is very important to stand shoulder to shoulder. Otherwise, that relationship is damaged, and that relationship being damaged on that front can damage it on a lot of others as well. We should not be allied to them in disputes like this. Uh, this, is a, this is virtually a freelance, sort of random activity. They've decided that they want to have a row. And, you, know, you can see Trump's... I almost feel sorry. It's almost clinical. He's bursting to have a row, to have a war of some sort, and he's bursting not to. And you can see the sort of tug, it's almost public in his tweets. 
Um, but this is, this is just a mistake. I mean, Iran's a serious country. It's going through an agonizing period. The last thing it needs is a war. It just it fortifies all the, the elements within Iran that, that are most reactionary and, and, and belligerent. Catherine Barnard. I think the situation is potentially very serious. Certainly, war with Iran would be extremely serious. I think what's really troubling is that, of course, we're in the middle of a Tory leadership contest, and our foreign secretary is currently occupied with uh, fighting to become the next Tory leader. And so the eye is not on the ball, and the time is being taken looking at internal politics rather than what's going on on the international stage. I think what we would... I think all of us would sign up to is a statement that we do need calm heads over this. We shouldn't be rushing into anything precipitous. And it is worth bearing in mind that Nazarene um, Sadari Ratcliffe, of course, is being used as a pawn in, in all of this, and she's in a very vulnerable situation at the moment. David Davis. Well, should we stand shoulder to shoulder? Yes and no. On the original, uh, the beginning of this process, for, uh, a little further back, the Americans backed out the Iranian deal. That was a mistake by them. Um, the attacks on the tankers look very likely to have been Iranian-sponsored or, or Republican Guard-sponsored. That was an attack by Iran, and we can't afford to allow Iran to shut uh, the straits. So, uh, in a sense, nobody's in the right here. And I just pick up on, on, on what Simon said. I mean, this president has said he doesn't want war with Iran, and you know, he's not the only leader to have taken these risks. I mean, bear in mind that David Cameron, as, as uh, prime minister of this country, was going to take us to war and attack Syria at one point in time, which would also have just killed lots of people as well and done nothing I, else. I bear that deeply in mind. Yeah, so, uh, and, and he was stopped, essentially, by 50 Tory MPs rebelling against him. So, so uh, How did you, I don't know, how did you vote in that? I led that rebellion. So, you know, <laughs> I had so, a half feeling. So, so, but the, but, the, but the, point, the, point, the point here is nobody wants a war. Nobody wants uh, to destabilise Iran. Nobody wants to give them provocation. But on the other hand, we do have to police our ability to, to uh, uphold our own economies moving around the world. So uh, I think uh, we should congratulate him on not carrying through on his original reaction. It was that his second instinct was the right one. Uh, we should make it plain that we don't want uh, any provocation at this stage. But we should also say to the Iranians, um, look, you know, Get control of your own military, because if you don't, that will provoke something at some point in time, and that's very dangerous for the whole world. You're suggesting that, that it was a lack of control over the military rather than the policy, which was to, because of the effect of sanctions, say to the United States, you can't just continue we like this without we, there being repercussions? We don't, in truth, know. We don't, in truth, know. They're denying, of course, the Iranian government is denying involvement in the damage to the tankers, so we can't tell. But this may be a muscle-flexing exercise by the Republican Guard, who do have a degree of standing in their own right in that country. Uh, and the last thing we want to do is... Uh, the other side of the coin is they might be trying to start a fight, and we don't want to do that either. We don't want to help them. So this is a de delicate balancing act, which is very difficult, uh, particularly with the, the current American president. But you know, part of our job is to say to him, be careful, be cautious, don't start unnecessary wars, don't kill people without very, very good cause indeed. Dawn Butler. I think how scary is it that Trump was stopped from going to war by a friend 
at a news agent or news TV station and not by his security services that were saying to him, please don't go to war, don't do this. And I think that we have to be a critical friend to America and we can't keep saying, well, how about the special relationship? We should be a critical friend. He's already sent a 1,000 troops uh, into the area. And Jeremy Hunt has said that we are going to be entangled in the conflict. What does that mean? And why are we going to be entangled in the conflict? And all on a, a looks very likely or almost likely. Have we learnt no lessons from going to war in Iraq? Have we learnt no lessons? I mean, it's just... We should be... In the UK, we should be calling on diplomacy. We should be asking for everyone to get around the table with the UN. We should be ensuring that before there's even talk of a war, that we are absolutely certain who's responsible for what. And I think that it's... We're in such scary times at the moment. We've, you know, we've got a president who's just crazy. Um, no other word for him. And I just don't think we should be following. I think we need to be better than that. As On a the country. basis of what you said, I presume you weren't invited to the state dinner. <laughs> uh, no, he be, didn't but, invite but me. To, to be serious, um, your leader made the point, we need absolute proof, as you've just made it. You can't always, as in the case of Salisbury, um, you can't always have absolute proof before you decide to act, can you? It, isn't, isn't it implying, I really don't want to act unless I'm forced reluctantly into evidence which says I can't get away with not acting? Well, I think it depends on whether you come from your first thought is to go to war or your first thought is to seek peace. So if your first thought is to seek peace and a resolution and have a calm approach to things, then that's, what, then that's what you do. You seek to get clarity and confirmation to the situation before you dive in. I mean, remember, you know, you've got Trump tweeting saying this was a big mistake, man. You know, you're, you know it's, it's, we're in very dangerous times and we can't accidentally fall into a war with Iran. Yeah, one of the, I, I, I agree, Dawn, but one of the difficulties with this is that the big states, uh, Russia and China in particular, but now Iran, it would appear, are learning the trick of just falling short of what will provoke a response. I mean, look at the way the Russians took Crimea. It was with little green men and all that. They, were, they did it in a way which they didn't think they quite provoke Obama. And, uh, and China does the same uh, in the China Sea. And it looks like Iran is now doing the same, just enough to get their way without causing response. So it's very, very difficult geopolitics now because they're learning these tricks and we can't be quite that predictable, I'm afraid. Um, Nick King, you, you asked a question. What's your own view about that? Should... The UK stands shoulder to shoulder, to use your question? I think probably not if it, if it, if it meant war from the American perspective. I think it's very difficult at the moment with, the, with a, the Iranian regime and then a very erratic American president. It's two, two things that are not going to make life very easy in that part of the world. Thank you. Um, a couple of tweets here. Um, Trump trying to claim credit for saving 150 Iranians by, <laughs> by not murdering them with overkill. <laughs> And if That's Trump obviously fake news. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and if Trump hadn't unilaterally pulled out of the nuclear core with Iran, we wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. Mm, yeah. Whatever yeah. thoughts you might have. <laughs> 03 700 100 444. And we'll go, please, to our next. Uh, Laura Clark. Realistically, what difference can a Prime Minister make, considering the same Parliament re remains? What difference can a new Prime Minister make? Um, 
given that the same parliament will be there. David Davis, this is obviously in relation to um, the relationship with the EU. Yes. Um, Well, a new prime minister can be more determined uh, than we historically have been about uh, getting a deal, for uh, pushing the the deal, uh, determined about leaving. I mean, I have to say, I think if we don't leave uh, the European Union this year, on October 31st before or, or thereabouts, then uh, the British view of our democracy will be very, very severely damaged. So all of the new... Well, both of the new candidates... Well, uh, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid the truth is that uh, the British people made a very clear statement at the, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the European elections that they didn't like what had been done so far, the refusal to leave on the 29th of March. So the new leader, whoever it is, uh, will have to be determined to leave, uh, ideally leave with a deal. I think both of the would-be uh, prime ministers want to have a deal, but if it has to be, without a deal. Um, in, in the case of Boris Johnson, who you are supporting, um, you... Um, said that you had been given, wrote that you had been given absolute assurance that he would leave deal or no deal on October the 31st. There's been some doubt about that on the basis of what he said publicly. Are you um, 100% certain that if there isn't a deal, he will seek to leave? Absolutely. If, 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 viewers, if, if, if viewers saw this, they would see a face that said, um, I have to say that I believe it because you never know with Boris. No, 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 no. That's not at all true. You are, uh, uh, you're, uh, uh, that's not quite right. The, the, the simple truth is he has to leave, or well, we have to leave uh, by October 31st. If we don't, if we don't commit... A- the, the audience, because at home it can't necessarily be heard, the audience uh, was saying, I was going to say saying collectively, but a lot of people yep. were saying, why? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because uh, a few years ago, the British people voted to leave by a majority of one and a half million. We have to deliver on that. We have to deliver on that. And I I think, frankly, I mean, a lot of people who voted to leave find it patronising of their government to say say to them, well, we're not sure you quite knew what you were doing. Uh, We're not quite sure you uh, understood the question. They did. They understood perfectly well. They wanted to leave, primarily for reasons of democracy. And, and one, pr- one primarily more, for reasons one, of democracy. Uh, Dave, one, one more thing, because yeah. Laura Clark says, considering the same parliament remains, yeah. assume yeah. in this context that the British parliament says, as it said before, no, we will not leave without a deal. No, I mean, we think so. What happens then, in your view? What, what, well, if, the, that, the, if, the, if the it first, reaches that the point... First, the first thing to say is uh, the presumption is that the parliament will say no. That's not, that wasn't what they did a yeah, week I, or so I, ago. No, that's no, granted, but you have to deal, David, you have to deal with the thought that it can happen and what people need to know, given your view, that we should leave without a deal. Parliament says no. How do you then leave without a deal? Is the well, the law question. today says we leave. The law, you know, we've got two acts of parliament. One's the uh, Article 50 Act and one's the Withdrawal Act. They both say we leave. They don't say, you know, we leave in some time in the distant future. We leave. Second thing is, the circumstance that we face when we come around to October will be this. Either the European Union will have considered the alternative deal offered to them, either they will have done that, or they'll have rejected it out of hand, one or the other. If it's considered the alternative deal, then that's what will happen. If it's rejected out of hand, then the position Parliament's in at that point is saying to itself, extend yet again, which probably means no Brexit or go out on a no-deal basis. And I think under those circumstances, the vote that was passed by 11 votes last, last week will stand and that we will actually leave. 
Dawn Butler. Um, so we should. Well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good question because it is the same parliament just because you change... Uh, the leader or the, the, the Prime Minister, the Parliament will still be the same, the numbers will still be the same, and any deal put to Parliament will probably be rejected because the deal's not good enough. So, um, actually, what, we, what the other 27 member states will have to do is they'll have to agree on whether... So we, the UK cannot just put another withdrawal agreement to the EU. That doesn't work. You have to try and go and negotiate... If it's Boris, God help us. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but the other 27 member states would have to agree that deal. And they say that they will only go into further negotiations if there's a substantial change. And that substantial change has to be either another referendum or a general election. And so that's the, op- that's the options that's available, either really another referendum or a general election. Uh, and- and your party, um, uh, despite strong views from the deputy leader, from the shadow foreign secretary and others, um, is still sitting on the fence on this. Well, With maybe I, one and maybe the other. Well, no, I don't think... You, you take either. Well, no, I think the thing is this. We're a democratic party. We had, at our conference, a composited motion which basically said we have to consider the results of the referendum. We considered it. Article 50 was triggered. It was given a go. Theresa May tried her hardest, was not good enough. Uh, And at the end of the day, there's not been an agreement on the deal. So what we've said as a party is, right, OK, what's the next stage? We've always said a general election or we have the vote back to the people. And that's where we're at at the moment. You only get a general election in reality, given what would is thought to happen to the Tories if were there to be election, if there's a vote of confidence, which enough Tories support Labour in a vote of confidence, which requires a general election. Absolutely. And, there's and been, if you don't get that, and there's that's been, the point at which, if you don't get that, because not enough Tories do decide to vote for Christmas like turkeys, um, the, 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 uh, then, you, then you would say, right, we now have to have um, a, a referendum. You then have to say to Europe, will you give us time to have a referendum? What? Well, Europe, your mind? Europe has already said that the two, the two substantial moves where they would consider uh, renegotiating would be another referendum or a general election. And every day we're seeing more and more Conservative MPs saying we do not want to risk the economic empowerment of our country by going out without... Uh, an agreed deal, and therefore they will vote to bring down the government and vote for a general election. Quickly, and every day quickly, we get more quickly, David Davis and then Simon Jenkins. Clearly, clearly Dawn, Dawn thinks Turkeys will vote for Christmas and it won't happen. But let me just say this. Parliament I think people, given, some, Parliament, Parliament some MPs been, Dawn, Parliament, feel more of their country than they do their party. Parliament has been... Par- Parliament... <laughs> Parliament has been given all sorts of options to vote for. The one thing it has voted for in a majority is what was known as the Brady Amendment. It's a compromise which involves accepting the withdrawal deal, but with something different on Northern Ireland. Something Are you not accepting the withdrawal deal well, no, as well, it no, stands? No, let, let me finish it. It, it. No, it's very specific. I mean, the Brady Amendment or the Malthouse Compromise, and there'll be a, another presentation of it on Monday, uh, is very specific. And it's very clear. And people like David Trimble, Nobel Prize winner in, uh, for his work in Northern Ireland, supports it. 
Uh, and that's been put to Parliament. It's the one thing Parliament's voted for. And I think if the new Prime Minister, whoever it is, goes back to the European Union and says, this is the one thing I can get through Parliament, and they turn that down, it's the European Union that's asking for no deal, not us. OK. The question, just to go back to the question, that, 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 what difference yeah. can a new leader make given the makeup of Parliament? Well, it, 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 on the assumption that the new leader is Boris Johnson, um, almost nobody can answer that question. Um, but, but if I could just come back to the point, I mean, um, David is right. The, the, the country voted to leave the EU. <coughs> Theresa May did a deal, you were party to it initially, um, uh, which, left the, the yeah, which left the EU. You have abrogated yourself, or your group of people, you've abrogated to yourself the interpretation of what that means. You've said it means leaving the customs union and leaving the single market. The public never voted on that. They, they, they voted to leave the EU. The Theresa May deal left the EU. After that, it is a matter for Parliament. Now, the only thing I'll say about the, the question um, is, is that is it, 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 it is and should revert to Parliament. And uh, Dominic Raab um, <laughs> disagreed with that, but no, he's gone. Um, but but, but the, 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 one, the one good news in this whole business is Boris Johnson. Never believe a word he says. <laughs> I, I, I should perhaps let's, say... Let's just get one thing clear, however. No, 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 in, we won't. No, no, Not for a second. David, get one thing in a moment. I'm going, to, I'm, going, I'm going to bring Catherine Barnard, because she hasn't been in. She's been very, very patient. But just before that, I'm going to say, given the apparent views that our audience, is, uh, the audience here is feeling, what I've had said before is that actually in this area there was a majority in favour of leave uh, not remain, which is not saying that you didn't all universally vote leave. I don't know, but that's what, that's what the majority view is. But this audience is a self-selecting audience. No, no, hold, on, hold on, hold on. They, 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 they voted for leave. They did not vote to leave no, the customs union. Yeah, it is a very important distinction. The point, right, the point you've the just point. made. That's the point. No, no, David, David, David you have to wait. On, I this will... point, on this point, David Cameron, George Osborne, uh, Michael Gove and Boris Johnson, all the people in both sides of the, leave, uh, the referendum campaign said it meant leaving the customs union and the single market. David, Everybody said, said it. That wasn't and true. your party and my party Come said on, so in a manifesto. the whole campaign was built on lies. Hey, hey, Come on. This, is, the, the, the this, best, this best debate is that Boris Johnson said that. And he never, he never means what he says. So. <laughs> <laughs> Patient Professor Barnard. <laughs> Let's go back to the question really that was students. asked, um, which was what difference would a new Prime Minister make? And the answer is that um, he will be in exactly the same situation that uh, Theresa May found herself in if he sticks to the red lines that Theresa May laid down um, over leaving the single market, leaving the jurisdiction of the Court of Justice and leaving the customs union. There's also another very practical problem that no one has been discussing as yet, which is timetabling and sequencing. Now, I fully accept that this is not an exciting issue, but it's going to be of huge practical importance. And the practical importance is, first of all, you need to have the withdrawal agreement, that's the Article 50 divorce text, before you can be discussing anything about the future deal. However, as we know, the withdrawal agreement um, has not got through Parliament on three consecutive occasions, and the EU has said they will not alter it. However, there may be, with a new Prime Minister, it may be that there is some wriggle room there. 
But the trouble is, the EU is in a state of change at the moment because the EU has got a new commission or will have a new commission, new commission president, new European Council president. And this is a really quite significant issue because they won't take office until the 1st of November. We're due to leave on the 31st of October. There won't be anyone to be doing the negotiations actually with. And of course, the old president, the old Tusk, the old Barnier, they won't want to be negotiating because they're a busted flush because, of course, they're going to be replaced by somebody else going forward. So there is a real issue about how on earth are we going to have this epic negotiation? And if the epic negotiation involves, as you've suggested, doing something about the Northern Ireland border issue, if it's technology... All of the evidence shows that technology will take about 10 years to introduce. It can't be done straight away. And so, actually, the EU is very conscious about the issues of the Northern Ireland border. Catherine, can I ask you to clarify a, 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 a closely related issue about no deal? Boris Johnson has said very clearly there will be no tariffs in this in the event of a no deal. There will be no quotas. We get a standstill on our current arrangements. They persist under GATT 24 or whatever it happens to be until we've negotiated a deal. Mark Carney, Governor of the Bank of England, says that applies if you have an agreement not if you've decided not to have an agreement. Not having an agreement with the European Union would mean that there are tariffs automatically because the Europeans have to apply the same rules to us as they apply to everyone else. Who is right? It's a pretty fundamental point if there is to be no deal, what the implications would be. Who is right? The Chancellor or the potential Prime Minister? Um, the Governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, Sorry, is, 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 is right. He's actually read Article 24 of GATT. It's Article 24.5c. <laughs> <laughs> and while, while this might seem esoteric, the fact is Article 24.5c says very clearly that, yes, you can have an interim arrangement but only if the, uh, the, 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 there's a plan and a schedule for the formulation of any f uh, free trade agreement or customs union. And the trouble is, if we leave with no deal, by definition, there will not be any plans or schedules for a customs union or a free trade agreement. Now, that's the problem. And the reality is, then, if we're in a no deal situation, while we in the UK can determine what tariffs we levy, and indeed, we have come up with a full schedule of tariffs um, if we leave in the event of a no-deal Brexit. As far as the EU is concerned, we become what's called a third country in the jargon, and a third country means that we will be treated in just the same way as the EU treats any other country with which it doesn't have a special relationship. Because that's what the WTO rules say. The World Trade Organization rules are very clear that you can't treat one country different to any other country. You treat them all the same unless there is a free trade agreement. Uh, David Davis, just in response to that, you, 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 what the governor has said, uh, what Catherine Barnard has said by uh, elaboration of that, do you accept that that is the case and therefore that Boris Johnson has misunderstood or misspoken um, by saying there will be no tariffs if there's no deal? I think the, the, the uh, governor, and you said uh, chancellor as well, the, the, the governor is broadly right. I think it's, there's a little bit of wriggle room. No, 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 no. no, no the, 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 there's a little bit of wriggle room in the sense of what constitutes a negotiation in play or in practice. Uh, what I think does matter here 
is what the practicalities are. In the European Union, the law matters until the forces of economics or other political forces overwhelm them. We see this time and time again. You often see in a negotiation the European Union, quotes, stopping the clock. That's the phrase they use when they get to the deadline on something so that they can, so they can carry on negotiating. In this circumstance of a no deal, the country that's harmed most is actually Germany. It's not us. Um, as, a pro- as a proportion, in terms of jobs, in ter- as a proportion of the economy, the country that's harmed most is Ireland because of the impact on, on agribusiness and so on. Uh, and so you expect the cohesion not, to break? Well, I, I expect... The, 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 I, the fact I expect so far it I, hasn't, you're, you think it will well, break? Well, actually, if you look back... Uh, those, I mean, those of you who follow European newspapers, if you look back at the run into March 29th, when the Prime Minister suddenly changed their mind a, a month in advance, um, what, uh, what was going on on, on, the European, on the continent were the, the, uh, the BDI, the sort of the German CBI, people like that, were saying, we cannot have no deal, we cannot have no deal, we absolutely cannot have no deal. Mrs Merkel, we are told, called Mr Varadkar four times to try and get movement on, on, on Ireland. Uh, they suddenly started saying, we've got to deal with this. And that's exactly what will happen come October. And the key players won't just be, won't just be uh, Barnier and Juncker and Tusk, who will not want to leave but behind for, a mess. It, 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 the point so that Catherine and, and, the, and, the, and the governor are making is that there are laws here. It's not what Germany might wish or animates. There's actually an well, international no, law afraid, which, it's, which it's, the it's, European it's, Union it's, has to it's, obey. It's international law which the European Union has bent from time to time. Look, look at which... Uh, ask, ask the professor which schedule they're under at the moment, uh, under WTO, for example. It's not the current one, is it? It's an old one. That's how, that's how seriously they take the law. That what matters here is what's in the best interest of Europe and ourselves, and that's what will drive the matter. So what you hope is, before we must move on, but it's really interesting and important, is what you're hoping is, and what uh, the potential Prime Minister hopes is, that the Europeans will break international law so that you can (laughs) not have tariffs. Um, We will go we will go to our next question please. Jack Scott, is the third runway at Heathrow worth the environmental cost? The Heathrow was just... just outlined its plans for a third runway. Um, You will have been familiar with them, I'm sure, Catherine. What do you think? I think the third runway at Heathrow, while I can understand the economic case, I think the environmental case is not made at all. I think there is real risk in terms of the noise, in terms of the pollution, and also in terms of the question of safety. The fact is it's on the edge of a very big city and there are risks associated with that. And so I think third runway at Heathrow, bad idea. If there's going to be more airport capacity, it should be spread throughout the country. It shouldn't be concentrated in one particular city. Norwich has got an airport. Southend has got an airport. Is there an opportunity for expanding uh, those airports rather than concentrating on Heathrow? Dawn Butler. Um, That's a lovely question, Jack. (laughs) The answer is no. Basically, it's not worth the effort. And Theresa May, she's trying to trying to kind of squeeze a kind of legacy out of her last few remaining weeks. She's committed us to, a, to um, net carbon emissions by 2050. If we build another runway at Heathrow, we're not going to be able 
to do that at all. And also, by the time you're old enough to drive... I, I should interrupt you, sorry, because listeners won't know. Um, may oh, I ask you, Jack, how old, how you, old are? you are? Ten years old. Ten, Ten years, years old. old. So... so you... <laughs> So am I right that your question has your future and the future of your generation in mind when you put the question? That you care about the future that you're going to have Definitely. when you grow up? Definitely. Definitely. And, so, and, and the thing is, by the time you're kind of um, old enough to drive, um, we should be getting cars off of the road and committing to electric cars. Now, we're not going to have electric planes in that time. As somebody said to me who knows much more about it than me, if there are electric planes, they're not going to go very far. So <laughs> we, need to, we need to do a lot more if we're going to reach our target, and building a third runway isn't going to help us achieve that. Simon Jenkins. I mean, I find it extraordinary after the past uh, two or three months of activity on the, uh, um, on the climate change front, they can come up with one of the most outrageously archaic um, investment projects uh, you could imagine. So I, I agree with the questioner. Um, what, what interests me is actually how we, why we find it so difficult to stop these mega projects. I mean, most of them are hangovers from David Cameron's vanity concept. And uh, we've got HS2, we've got that third runway, we've got well, one thing after garden bridges and so on. Um, most of them Boris Johnson things. But, Boris. But, well, wasted money. Cameron... I think um, Boris was against the third runway, actually. That is the problem. The problem he is going he was against it. He was going to lie down it. in front of the bulldozers, <laughs> yes, was he not? That's right, yes. But, Sorry, I mean, you know, David, what's what's David, the argument against it as opposed to describing this as a vanity, or in addition to describing it as a vanity project? Why is it, in, from your perspective, a terrible mistake? It's a, major, it's a major international airport in a built-up area. No major city in the, on Earth is proposing such a thing now. Um, it's, it's a 50,000 place car park um, it's, a, it's a massive congester of the, of the most congested part of London um, it, it is, this is not about national economic prosperity airports are about leisure and tourism it's a lie that they're about business about 20% of movements in and out of London airports, plural, are to do with business at all, and a lot of those are business going to junkets um, uh, airports are just not about business they are about leisure uh, why we should indulge people in going on persistent long-distance journeys. I, mean, I have to ask people who ask about it, are you going, are you going abroad next, next month on a plane? Because that's what we've got to cut back on. But, but the... the... <laughs> well, uh, is... <laughs> si Simon, Simon poses that question. Uh, let's not say in the next month. In the next three months, four months, how many people are planning to use an aeroplane for leisure purposes in this large audience, about four or 500 people? Would you put your hands up? How many people are not planning to do that? Really? Overwhelmingly, people are not. How many people put their hands up who are not, who really are? <laughs> David Davis. The, um, the thing that surprises me about, uh, about Heathrow, uh, in the temperate zones, in the, uh, uh, in, uh, on the earth, the uh, winds blow east-west, mostly. So if you have an airport which is east or west of the major cities, the aircraft will fly, either landing or taking off, will fly over the city. And I've always been surprised since 9-11 that we actually built any more airports, east or west, of major cities. We ought to build them north and south and build fast rail links to make them work uh, and then keep the aircraft away from being over the city. And from the security grounds alone, I would not allow expansion of east-west flying. 
You did, I think, I may be wrong, you, you, did in, you voted in yeah, favour in of, of Heathrow, didn't you? In the cabinet, yeah, of course. And um, why did you vote in favour? Because you're in the government. And you, that's you, what you, you do. It's called collective responsibility. It's called, it's called hypocrisy. Did you internally say, I think this is a lousy idea? I said, I said what I've just said. Yeah. Exactly that, in cabinet. And you wouldn't vote in, in, in favour of it again? No, I was a uh, do you, you, We've had this question about Boris Johnson, and as, as a backer of Boris Johnson's now, um, would, you, would you believe him when he says... Um, I mean, he's changed his tune from, I will be a, in front of the... Well, to be fair the, to him, he was in Cabinet too, and therefore he had collective responsibility. Be fair to him. It's very easy for Simon to say, you know, hypocrisy. Governments run the way they have for the last 200 years in this country yeah, based on collective David, responsibility. On, on this one, David, David Cameron was flatly against a third runway. No ifs and buts. He, he was adamant. He built HS2 to get away from doing a third runway, incredibly. Mm. Theresa May was flatly against the third runway. Boris Johnson is flatly against the third runway. I bet they build one. Do you think it'll go ahead? Or what do you think it's it, That's hypocrisy. Come on, that's hypocrisy. <laughs> okay, do you think, it, do you think actually that, that Boris Johnson, he, he said he's got reservations now. He hasn't said he's going to lie under the bull, in front of the bullies. Do you think it won't go ahead yourself? I think it's very unlikely to go ahead. Yeah. Very unlikely to. Very unlikely. Okay, we can squeeze in one more. Nadine Randall. Two of our students are successfully negotiating with the school principal and others to raise the profile of climate change and what this school can do to address it. What career would the panel recommend such successful negotiators pursue to their Suc future lives? Successful negotiators on climate change. We don't need at this moment to go into that. What career would the panel recommend such successful negotiators as there have been at this school to pursue in their future lives? What career should they pursue as successful negotiators? Would you say, Dawn? I say it's a shame that they're not standing for leadership of the Conservative Party <laughs> because <laughs> I think there's a vacancy there for them and one they'll probably do really well. We need a good negotiator right now. <laughs> and uh, Catherine? I think they should become very fine lawyers because, my God, the country is going to need some good lawyers in the years to come. Simon Jenkins? I measure learn Chinese. That's, that's the problem country. The, the problem, the diplomats in China. Because, I mean, if you really want... I mean, it's all very well, frankly, to feel good by just these gestures. I, I, I've not a lot of time for it. Um, it, it's, it's the kind of the cult of the age, like, like CND was, ineffectively, in my youth. Um, the problem is China. If you want to do something with climate change, go and persuade the Chinese. Lie down in the Chinese um, roadway rather than here. Mm -hmm. And David Davis. Simon's exactly right, but we have to sort out our own field too. We've said uh, net zero by 2050. If we're going to do it, we have to find every technology possible to deliver on it. We're lucky in Britain. We've got one thing, the possibility of sequestering carbon dioxide under the North Sea in the old oil fields. I'd say become a geologist and make that work, and that'll make it economically possible for us to thrive and hit net zero by 2050. Thank you very much. And that, I'm afraid, is all we have time for. Next week, we're going to be in Bristol with... David Blunkett, now a peer, Chris Patton in the House of Lords as well, Amanda Patel, the columnist, and Polly Toynbee, also a columnist, as you'll undoubtedly know. Um, I hope you can join us there. Any answers, 03 700 100 444. From here in Wyndham High Academy in Norfolk, goodbye.
Did you enjoy the podcast? Discover more music, radio and podcasts on BBC Sounds.